Hi, this is Aaron with Rise and Thrive podcast. And today we're releasing one of our previous conversations that Mary and I had back in our first season when the podcast was called Life Gets Better Now. On this episode, we talk about the question of, are you a kitchen mystic? Please enjoy this wonderful conversation. Hi, Erin. Hey, Mary. So what is a kitchen mystic? A kitchen mystic is a a cute name Mm -hmm. for a phenomenon that we're living where a lot, a lot of people are waking up spiritually and living a passionately new spiritual existence and never stepping inside a church. Mm, So there's a growing movement of people that's been happening since the 1970s and 80s, which has now reached 18% of our population who are dedicated spiritual seekers with some kind of like synthesis or blend of uh, understanding that I'm calling kitchen mysticism. Let me just read you. The, oh, wonderful. The opening paragraphs of my title piece in the book. I want to suggest a new name for the spirituality that is spreading like a quiet fire through our society. I see it in myself and seekers around me who pass through and incorporate the gifts of different paths. It's a synthesis of wisdom from both the East and the West. It's a mix of Judeo-Christian principles, yoga, Buddhism, 12-step philosophy, earth religions, and a personal medley of experience and growth. I call it kitchen mysticism. Mm. Because the kitchen is where you perform important but mundane acts like cooking, eating, washing dishes, and confiding with your close friends. Kitchen mysticism cultivates the awareness of direct, intimate communion with the divine in the arena of everyday existence. It's a personal path, and there are so many ways of walking it. Kitchen mystics may or may not attend church. They find convenient places to commune and worship, the shower, the car, the park bench at sunset. You will often spot mystics muttering earnestly to someone no one else can see or stopping mid-project with an entranced look, listening. We are performing one of the major practices of our faith, conducting an ongoing loving dialogue between the God within and the God without. Oh, wow. So as I'm taking this in and listening to your words there, I'm thinking that this is this is one way when people say, I'm spiritual but not religious. Exactly. Yeah. I'm spiritual, but I'm really quite spiritual. But mm-hmm. no, I don't go to church, and no, I don't have those those uh, traditions, but I have my own traditions. Mm-hmm. I make up my own traditions. And the mystic part of this, talk a little bit more about what a mystic is. A mystic is someone who is getting it directly. Mm. A mystic is someone, if you think about in the tradition of uh, our religious um, upbringing, saints and mm-hmm. mystics were people who were talking directly to God. Mm-hmm. They they didn't make any bones about it. They were talking directly to God. They were not going through the bishop or the archbishop or the pope. They were hanging out with God. And God said this. Um, you know, Mother, Mother Teresa was a mystic. The uh-huh. moment she said calmly to some of her co-workers, um, no, don't worry. I've talked to God about it this morning. It's going oh. to work. <laughs> this will go well. It's kind of like... <laughs> Her thoughts from the last podcast. She said to her workers in the middle of the six-day war, no, we'll be able to go into that war zone and pull the orphans out because God and I talked about it this morning. 
And her workers nodded and looked <laughs> like deer in the headlights. But indeed, they went into a war zone and did this. So anyway, that's kind of an aside. But the point is the mystic has a certain confidence mm-hmm. in their own truth and their own um, idea of what's going on and what we're in and what's real and what's important. And it's it comes out of our own direct spiritual hits of what's true that we get from our souls, our spirits, our direct pipeline to God. And our uh, spirituality, a mystic spirituality, is something that comes to us like like beads on a string, like mm-hmm. one experience after another, just yeah. strung on a long uh, necklace of experiences in your life that bring you to your own understanding of this great mystery that we're living. So you contend that more and more people are waking up to this, and that's kind of the time that we're living in, where maybe fewer people are going to church, but more people are embracing this notion of a direct connection. Yes, that's right, of being spiritual, but not religious. And so many people are stepping up to this in their own way. Mm. That And this has been happening all around us since the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. And there's, we're in the middle of this amazing time. It's so fertile and chaotic and exciting and distressing. Like all these things are falling apart in crisis, but all these things are coming together in synthesis. And you and I are living this. Yeah. And I have a feeling that we're living in a really important time in history, but all we know about it is kind of like what we know in our kitchens day to day. There's it's interesting, though, because when, when I hear you talking about that, what's changed in the 60s, 70s, 80s onward is we have so much ability to communicate and to access different uh, ways of seeing the world and different ways of understanding how and to we know show how people up over it. there are thinking, and yeah, way over there, and they're thinking just like us. You know, there's yeah. there's people that in in circles in France and Australia and China that that are having discussions mm-hmm. and that are exploring their spirituality and that are that are uh, a step outside of the the traditional mainstream. You know, historical directions of things, and I just think we're in this, you know, foment of invention. Yeah. And and part of this thing that's going on is, I I guess it might sound kind of a grandiose way of saying it, but the spiritualization of humanity. Okay, so in terms of there being this thing called a uh, a kitchen mystic, and we're going to go into more detail in a moment here, but how does one become a kitchen mystic? Well, I think one notices that they are a kitchen mystic because they have, we have our little ways, you mm-hmm. know, our funny little ways that yeah. we must do, our little rituals, our ceremonies, our spiritual practices, if you will. I mean, for some people, having the right cup of coffee in the morning, you know, <laughs> yeah. and looking at their uh, their phone quietly and then thinking about, uh, something thoughtfully before they go to work. It's, it's a yeah. ritual. It's a spiritual practice in a way. Um, but I want to read uh, oh, from my book again about this because I think this will give uh, some concreteness to that idea. We kitchen mystics notice that we have rich internal lives. And so we actually have smaller appetites for external stimulation than some other people might. We pay for entertainment less often because 
we see that truth is much stranger than fiction anyway. <laughs> yes. We passionate spiritual seekers find ourselves involved in a never-ending mystery story that unfolds with subtlety, finesse, and occasionally high drama. There's a benevolent plot afoot, and its conspirators are everywhere, seen and unseen. Their mission? The end of my fear and my limitation, resulting in my final spiritual awakening. It's harrowing. It's uplifting. It's more thrilling than Star Trek, because we ourselves are the main characters. We kitchen mystics entertain each other with accounts of synchronicity and the breakthrough insight we just experienced. Yes. Yes. I say yes to that. We find meaning everywhere, Erin, <laughs> because the divine is always hiding clues and love letters for us in our daily love lives, and it's fun to discover these. Almost every kitchen mystic has a special object of contemplation and worship, something from the physical world that says God directly to you, and maybe no one else. I see God in onions. Onions. <laughs> wow. So as I'm listening to this, Mary, I'm realizing for me, my spiritual path came out of more of a crisis. It wasn't like, oh, I'm really enjoying my cup of coffee and isn't this calm and wonderful. It was more like, my life isn't working. What what can I do to fix things? Where How can I get things to work? And it began kind of a path. So you're talking about that there's a lot going on right now and it's chaotic. And so we're kind of and looking- And crisis. And crisis, and yeah. Global warming and there's, there's crisis. Yeah. It's true. And that's exactly true. And this is what I'm trying to, to say about how there's this- micro and macro thing going on yeah. at the same way, in the same way that, wow, a crisis like your marriage fell apart or mm -hmm. uh, you had an injury or something catalyzed this this searching and chaos and then looking for meaning and, and trying to find truth and trying to get guidance, all this direct stuff right. that leads to the spiritual awakening. That's what a, a, an individual is going through. And they make their way to a group or a class and they find other individuals yeah. that are doing that too. But I think this is going on humanity-wide. Mm -hmm. I think we're all going, oh my gosh, well, Oh well, well, what, what's important then? And well, and how do I live? And 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 who who are we really? What are we trying to create? Yeah. Actually, what do we need to do here? There's this micro thing going on in so many individual lives, and then there's this macro thing going on, humanity wide, where we're grappling with crisis and we're waking up spiritually, which is the upside. Which is great, yeah. Well, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, I think. I started being your student about two years ago. And so, you know, I've made some progress and I've learned a lot and I'm really, I feel really grounded in sort of how we're looking at the world and trying to figure things out. And a big part of that is meeting other people who are kind of in the same place and then talking to them. And then we share being in a circle, being in a circle. And it's such a relief. And we talk about that like, and, and we got that note um, from somebody who listens to our podcast on Facebook who was saying, oh, it's just such a relief to listen to your podcast. She said, thanks for your wonderful wisdom. I feel like I've been transported to a kitchen in the Midwest, learning from the best. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was Heidi. I love it. It was nice. <laughs> but it's sort of like in all of the uh, change and disruption and chaos, we do need, we always as human beings need a way to ground ourselves to find kind of that inner peace, that centering. And then from there, we can make good decisions about how we conduct ourselves. And 
I love the clarity of that. So I, I embrace this notion of kitchen mystic, and I want to know more. I actually want to know more about this onion, Mary. <laughs> you see God in an onion. I know. You know, it brought so much together for me 20-something years ago when I was doing all this writing, and I realized that I was a kitchen mystic and that I that I see God in onions because uh, uh, it just it just focused it for me. So So here we go. Let's read a little bit about that. I see God in onions. I always have. I remember when I first saw my mother slicing into an onion. I was about six. I stopped my playing, awestruck. What is this vegetable that is so pure, so watery white? It's many-layered, it's concentric rings like a mandala, making mounds of perfect circles as they fall open on the cutting board. Wow. I begged her to let me cut some, despite her warning that my eyes would burn, I can remember concentration and reverence welling up within me as I awkwardly tried to cut perfect slices of onion. My eyes did burn. I had to stop after a few cuts, but I vowed that I would understand onions one day and I would cook with them myself. Later that summer, my dad took us all out for a rare visit to a fast food joint, a real treat. My younger brothers and sisters ordered hamburgers with ketchup, but my dad turned to me and said, How about it, honey? You want everything on it? Everything on it. Those words struck me like a sacred gong, a mantra given to me personally that would guide me all of my days. I nodded mutely, not even understanding what those words mean in your usual hamburger joint. I only knew that this is a spiritual risk I am destined to take. When my hamburger arrived, I peeked under the soggy bun and was thrilled to see the chopped grilled onions sprinkled like tiny translucent pearls amid the steaming ketchup, mustard, and pickles. I ate my burger in a blissful trance, convinced that I would eat them with everything on it forevermore. (laughs) Oh, lovely. And... I go on and on about the onion here, I do, but, you know, basically I'm saying, and and this continues, I cook with them, I admire them, I add them to things, I did a stained glass window with an onion in the ground, (laughs) sprouting, there's just something about, um, here, let's go right to the end here, my contemplation of the mystery in the onion continues to this day. I can cut them now without crying, but not without pausing for a brief moment. Red onions are especially divine. I hold a slice up to the sunlight pouring in through the kitchen window, and it glows like a fine piece of antique glass, cool and watery white, with layers delicately edged in imperial purple, strong, humble, peaceful and a fiery nub of spring green in the center, aspiring to sprout. Ah, look at this one! I cry to my husband and daughter nearby. They look at each other and smile at me tolerantly. That's a really nice one. They don't see God in onions the way I do, but they know that we mystics have to stick together. Oh, beautiful. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Because my daughter... You know, she did try and see God in onions. I did hold mm-hmm. up many slices of them to the yeah. light and show her, see, see. And she, you know, she tolerated me. But she saw God in rocks. She saw God in, in especially like white quartz. Mm-hmm. She saw like a chip of white quartz in a, you know, a pebble 
uh, border and in someone's garden, she'd stop and go, oh, Mom, Mom, look at this white stone. Look, look at this white stone. She was obviously seeing something that I didn't yeah. see. And I think mystics enter into ordinary objects or the uh, pleasure of your child's eyes or touch. We enter into these ordinary treasures all around us and something opens Something opens up, and we feel that peace and that creation energy. Yeah, and as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking this is about appreciation. Mm. And it's about being fully present in a moment. And it's about connection to the things around you. Right. I mean, somehow for some people to pause and and look at a pink sunset or to pick up a rock or to uh, be in an intimate moment with their dog, Mm -hmm. that moment opens up a window into everything else. Yeah. It opens up this sense of connection, interconnection with everything else. And I think that's the essence of what being a mystic is, is Mm. that you feel a connection to everything. You feel connection to all the people around the globe. You feel connection to the fabric of nature. You feel a connection to the past and the future and the ancestors and the descendants. There's something in you that in in an ordinary moment can stop and get still and something just kind of fans out into this very big space where you just really love everything and you understand it in a space beyond words. So as we're thinking about different spiritual practices that people have, I mean, I, I know I started spiritual practices when I was particularly anxious and upset. But then some, at some point What were you doing? It, were you doing well, I was, reading I was in a, or meditating or what, what were you doing? When yeah, you were I mean, to... I, I, went, I came from a place where I was just completely, I mean, I was overly anxious all the time. And so you were freaking out. I was girl. freaking you out. And freaking so out. I remember I went to, I went to meditation class and the, and the teacher, he looked, looked at me and he wanted me to look him in the eyes. And he said, are you willing to do whatever it takes? And I was like, yes, I'm willing to heal. And it was just part of this whole big, long journey. Mm. And at first, it was really hard to meditate. Like, it was really hard to meditate. And I'd have to drive across town to meditation class. And I'd be running late. And I'd be speeding. And I'd get there breathless. And you'd be worrying <laughs> about what what just transpired yeah. with your ex and yeah. how your kid's doing. And Yeah. And so I'd get there. And then I'd have to sit down. And it was a guided meditation class. And... It was all I could do to stay in the chair, and it was all I could do to not go running out of the room. But I did it, and I kept doing it, and I practiced, and I practiced. And so then I got to a point where something switched, and it's like what you talked about. It actually was like, oh, I can't wait to meditate. Oh. oh. You know, and it, and so instead of it being this thing that I was trying to impose on myself, it it became something that nourished me in a new way. Because something was going on underground yeah. with the meditation's effect yeah. on your consciousness. And you realized, oh, the, you know, I'm feeling better. I yeah. can't explain why I feel better, but I'm feeling better. And I want to feel even better than this. So <laughs> let me just go to that meditation class. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe initially I was a reluctant kitchen mystic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you were a desperate. A desperate, yes. Desperado. How many desperados have made their way to <laughs> spirituality because we were tired of being wreckage. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Let's pause for a quick moment and acknowledge our sponsors, Mary. Let's do. This podcast is brought to you by the energy and attitude of unconditional love. Unconditional love is there for you. It is in abundant supply and it wants you to thrive. Yes. And by the new definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is releasing an expectation that's causing you to suffer. Pass it on. Let me mention a few more things about you, Mary. You're the author of The New Kitchen Mystic, a companion for spiritual explorers, and we've been enjoying hearing you read from it today. Thank (laughs) you. You've also been teaching spirituality classes for a long time, but you, you started just in circles with friends, right? Yeah, I guess I I taught my first class in spiritual development in my living room with a two-year-old being <laughs> taken care of nearby with a circle of eight people who were saying, would you teach classes, please? Would you please teach classes? And I had to get over a little bit of a hump about, well, credentials, I'm not a priest, I don't know. <laughs> but it turns out I had this uh, little channel that opened up whenever I sat with a circle of people and I could teach a class amazing. about spirituality. And so... 20-whatever years on, I'm still teaching a circle, and you're in it, honey. I'm in it. You're in my so, self-mastery program, and and so and, and you're a kitchen mystic, and you're on a path of mastery, yes? I am, and I, I love saying I'm a kitchen mystic. I'm just recently sort of embracing <laughs> this idea, that, but that's what it is. It's about trying to have a direct experience with the divine and have guidance and And peace. to master your own life. And to master To master it. the classroom yeah. of your life. And I think one of the things that's a, a challenge for people that are not um, attending a traditional um, church or container of uh, religious experience is how do we have a shape yeah. to our uh, spiritual life that you know is solid and strong and has good bones and good practices and companions and rhythm throughout the year and so many things that, that uh, religions provide us. And we're going to get into that some more, I think, next time when we talk about the difference between spirituality and religion. Mm, but I want to know, what does your day look like, <laughs> mystic? How, oh. how, how, do you, how do you do this... this Dedicated, because you are a dedicated seeker. You I are am. one of the more dedicated people I know. <laughs> You're passionate. You are disciplined. You are firm. You are sturdy. You are I enthused. came from a lot of wreckage. <laughs> you came from a lot of wreckage, so you have a good background, yeah, good credentials for being a spiritual being. You came from wreckage. I do. Yeah. yeah. So, but what does it look like daily life right now well, for you? Okay, so I'll just share some of my tools that mm-hmm. I that I like quite a bit. I love prayer. Mm-hmm. I use prayer a lot. And I try to use it first thing when I wake up before I get out of bed. Oh. And I use it last thing before I go to sleep, before I fall asleep. And I actually get to a point where I'm like, oh, yay, I get to go to sleep and I'm going to pray. Ah. This will feel good. And I, I love the Lord's Prayer. Mm. So I say that one. Oh, so you have a, a standard prayer that I do. really. You yeah. Know, and I'll works sometimes. Well, what I do is I'll often say the Lord's Prayer three times, mm-hmm. and I'll notice how if I get distracted, and so then mm. I start over and I say and I say it in my mind, and so it's a way of giving me kind of feedback right away to how distracted my mind mm. is. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I'm really distracted. So you have merged prayer and meditation right there. Good yeah. job. Yeah, yeah. So that's one. Okay, another one that I do is I try to. Um, I appreciate light that I see, so I'll see Mm. a little bit of illumination on the tree or something, and I'll stop and appreciate it. And one of the reasons I love doing that is that it's fleeting. 
you know, it's temporary. Mm -hmm. And so to stop and notice it and go, oh, there it is. I'm there it seeing is. that There's right the now, light. but it's going to go away. Oh, wow. So that's one of mine. And then doing the dishes is another one. <laughs> so I'm hearing the Buddhist impermanence as you, as you okay, uh, good. see the fleeting light. And then I hear Thich Nhat Hanh, mindfulness meditation. Well, just wash mm -hmm. the dishes. What are yeah, you doing and when I, you wash the dishes? I try you to be fully present mm -hmm. and not rush through it. So we've gone through Christian and Buddhist and mindfulness meditation <laughs> now. And your synthesis. So that's all I'm saying. We're synthesizing like yeah. the best, like the 40 great hits from yeah. the <laughs> And the dishes, that's religions. a great one to reclaim. If you've ever felt like a lot of drudgery around dishes yeah. or something, I, I take whatever it is that I've, if I have a little bit of like, oh, I don't want to do it, you know, mm -hmm. Ugh, then I go, oh, that's a great place for me to practice sort of full presence and mindfulness. And when you do the dishes and you don't rush yourself and you notice the water and mm -hmm. the soap suds mm. and the shape of the dishes, and some of them are really beautiful and just everyday objects, and you, you know, hold on to them as you're washing them and yes. appreciate them, it's, it, then it suddenly it shifts everything. Mm. So that's Kitchen one of mysticism. my Yeah. There you have yeah. it. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. Anything else? Um, those are kind of the main... Well, the, the other main little mantra that I use in as an emergency, I got it in my back pocket, I can pull it out anytime, <laughs> is I say, if, if I have stress or my gripper tries to take over and my thoughts are kind of like, ah, I say, I am willing to see this differently. Oh, nice. I am willing to see this differently. Nice. And you do notice that if you say it and mean it, it's like taking aspirin for a headache. Oh, wow. <laughs> it just starts letting go. It does, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> thanks for, thanks thanks for listening and appreciating yeah, my sure. practices. Yeah. I, I would love to hear some of yours. Well, Chris, they change over time. There's, yeah. there's a few things that uh, stay the same, but I have kind of a braid. It's like a triple braid as... You know, my original Catholic mysticism. So mm -hmm. I ha hang out with Mother Mary and Jesus mm. personally. I don't expect anyone else to. So that's the thing. That's what makes it not religious. I don't expect anyone else to. I like them, though. I, I talk to them. They talk to me. Mm. I wow. Yeah, I do some yoga meditation. I mm -hmm. do. I have a chant that I love. It's just a beautiful, beautiful prayer. It's about 15 minutes long, and I first heard it in India when I was visiting an ashram when I was really on a quest. And it's just my prayer. It's like my whole being just wants to sit down and close its eyes and sway back and forth and sing at the top of my lungs. Wow. So I, I have a private room in which I do that. <laughs> I don't do that in the living room <laughs> because it's weird. I do it in my private cozy soft basement office but i yeah. put out the cd of it and i and i don't do that every day because it's really kind of intense and it mm -hmm. you know it takes 15 whole minutes yeah. but I, I might do it once or twice a week oh okay and i dedicate it to something i say okay god hi hi it's me mary i'm gonna sing this song to you god because you know i love mm -hmm. the song and i love you and i'm dedicating this one to the success of blah, 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 or to the health of so-and-so, mm. or to the next couple of weeks of such-and-such. Such. I dedicate it yeah. to certain things, and, and then you have to let, let it go. It's like you you got to say, here, I'm singing to you, and I got this little favor I'm asking you, and I'm letting it go. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a, a, that's a practice, and um, that, that's uh, really, really satisfying for me. And then... Um, Let's see. Well, there's the soup. the soup. There's the, you know, if I want to get strong and centered 
and know what's what and get my thoughts together and be good for the rest of the day, I think, all right, what are we thinking here? Onion soup? Carrot ginger soup? Curry squash soup? What's it going to be, baby? (laughs) And I go in there in the kitchen and I make soup with like a great fervor. And by the time it's done and I've eaten some, I'm just good. Oh. Just really good. That's a great practice. Yeah, I'm good. And then and I have soup to share with others. And yeah. so it's service and it's uh, nurturing and yeah, I think I think actually in the end my other favorite practice is nurturance. nurturance. Like to nurture. This is a, a a feminine practice, I think. Um, but maybe not. Maybe it's more universal, but I like to nurture my peeps. Mm. I like to, you know, Pet somebody, give them food, um, check in on them, mm-hmm. nurture myself, you yeah. know, uh, take a 20-minute nap, um, say a few comforting words to myself before I go do something hard. <laughs> <laughs> I like to, like, find the mother energy, yeah. like the, the divine mother energy, and and apply it like a nice lotion to oh, myself and to Mary. my others. That's so <laughs> There you cool. have it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks so much. Any Current you practices share? of the Kitchen Mystic. <laughs> Very good. 